is Christine Conti, and you are listening to best-selling author of Split Second Courage. What if your fears were the key to your dreams? That's right, everyone. Available on Amazon right now as an ebook or paperback. Grab your copy today and unleash your inner superhero. What is holding you back from living the life you truly deserve? It is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. I don't know why. You're fist pumping. I'm fist you're pumping. Like, a, like a, something in the air. I just felt like that. I felt the vibe. I felt the beat. You know, we're going down to Miami. We are. Right? We're not going to, and we're not going to make Will Smith jokes. I heard he did. Yeah. In the show. It's already, it's done. <laughs> and we haven't even. You know what? Before we get into our freaking amazing guests, I mean, seriously, we bam, bam, we're like, we got some real motivation Two and some crazies and a microphone showstoppers lately. I love it. Better ask somebody. Um, I didn't know that Will and Jada had this open marriage, and that was like the part of the joke. Oh my! I'm God. like seriously late to the party. Do you even care? Like, no, I'm so freaking busy. Care about that? I. <laughs> Who knows, people? Everyone control yourself. Just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean that you can comment on politics or tell us about religion. Or uh, you better be listen, careful. You listen, better, man. You better keep her name out your fucking mouth. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's move on to some awesome awesomeness today of our guest. I was actually singing a little bit of Dr. Dre before because Dre all day is what you're going to get. The Dre Baldwin coming to us from Miami, originally from Pennsylvania, from Philly, actually. Pennsylvania is different than Philly. Philly's like you're from Philly. From Philly. And um, now has lived in Miami for about 14 years. And what a really cool catch. He was on this interview randomly that popped up on my, you know, screen for something. And I'm like, wow, this guy's cool. This guy's, he's got good energy. He's got all these books. He's a speaker. He's like just a, he calls himself a uh, disagreeable person, but not in a bad way. Because if you disagree with people, you tend to rise up, stand out. And that's exactly what Dre does in this world. Or or just do what you think is Right. And, uh, you know, that's that's a lot of what we have going on here. You know, he's 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 making his own path. He's uh, he's working on his game. Work on your game is uh, is a book of his uh, one of his many books. You know, he had a library behind he's him. He's wicked of, smart. Of all his, he's awesome. uh, yeah, that was good stuff. And, uh, all, you know, all his books behind him. So, uh, you know, we just want to make sure that he definitely touched on that. He's got a live uh, uh, seminar or a live broadcast two day event coming up uh, very soon. Uh, work on your game dot live is where you'll find that. That's May fifth and sixth. So uh, we discussed it in the in the uh, interview, but we wanted to make sure that we get it into this uh, show here or the pre show, so that way uh, you know you guys mark it down. And also, he's offering a book, right? Mm-hmm. The third day book dot com. You'll get a free copy of that. You pay for shipping. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff going on. He's uh, he's he's amazing. I really enjoyed this. We get. 
you know, we find out a little bit about his program, but a whole lot about him uh, as a person and, and uh, you know, as we try to do with our guests um, and, you know, just to kind of get a feel for who these people are. And, uh, you know, Dre is a winner. Um, it was it was just fantastic. I, I had a good time with this one. You know, I'm, um, he, I knew he was going to be awesome because I decided that we're not going to have any more boring guests. That's it. Done. If you don't have a good story, you're not. I'm not booking you. Okay. So I said it. There it is. That's there it. it is. Period. The end. I'm throwing down the, throwing down the hammer here. But honestly, it, once you start hearing him and, you know, hear his story, this is, we're going to really going to take a deep dive into, you know, 99% of your life. You can't control things, but you can control maybe 1%. So what, how do we do that? And that's what Dre gets into today. It's controlling the 1%. How often should you do that? 100% of the time, controlling mm-hmm. that 1%. And if we could kind of see our life through this different lens, and he talks a little bit about mentality, this is, this is what life's about. What's your mind like? Are you going to your mind straight? Think of all of our guests and all of our episodes that talk about mindset it's great. You can, you know, Brian says, you know, eat, eat kale to green in the face. Someone else is like talking about lifting or this and that. Well, you're not going to do any of it without the right mind. And Dre is just another freaking awesome resource for this. So please check him out. Grab a book, attend his online, you know, virtual two day, you know, what was it? The, um, oh my gosh. He's the best. Work, work on your on game. Your game work on your game live. There you oh, go. So that's it. So you should show up. That's all I have to say. She said enough. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Dre Baldwin, enjoy. Another amazing guest today, as you heard in our intro, by the name of Dre Baldwin. Dre, how you doing today? I'm doing amazing. How are you two doing? Doing well, well? not yeah. as not as warm as you are in Miami. Yeah, since Bienvenido it's... a Miami. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so tell us, tell us, Dre, how's it is going? It, hold on. Is it yeah. too early for Will Smith jokes? In my oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean. No, I, not at all. It's not too early. I'm only, you know what? I'm only wondering because today, we're recording this on the first. Right. Hope you don't mind me putting that out there. Uh-huh. So I'm wondering, might this have been an April Fool's joke? And they're going to come out and say April Fool's and they got a movie coming out or something? No, no, no. Those two no. guys. Yeah, exactly. No? Yeah, the, the, I thought I, it was. I, I thought it was staged at first. We haven't talked about this. On when the I air. saw it, I thought so too. When I first saw it, I said, "No, wait a minute, no way that actually happened." I wouldn't put it past anybody to do anything like that at any <laughs> for anything, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, no, lo- no love loss. <laughs> I, I, I can't. Do. I can't even. Holiday, holiday. Um, so let's get into right away 
Um, I am known, Dre, for my stalking abilities. Okay? <laughs> Brian, it's okay. not a bad thing. But Brian <laughs> makes fun of me because, you know, we've, we've been at this for, you know, almost five years, I think. And, um, at this point, many of our guests, you know, we know from travels around the world or whatnot. And occasionally Brian's like, how do you know this person? I'm like, well, I Christine them, <laughs> ambush them. And um, I right. saw you. I saw you speak. Um, you gave an interview for, it was the, um, it was a professional fitness something. Um, you did this awesome interview. And I'm like, who the hell is this? And I get the, I get the, I want to talk to this person. And you just happen to, you just happen to be pop up in my, you know, in my radar at the right time. And of course, what did I do? I'm like, perfect. Hey. Hey, Dre, Drail Day. She pops I need out of, you. Pops out of the bushes in your front lawn when you're going to get the morning paper. Right. Hey, hey, what's going on? Right. Um, but you have got a, first of all, your energy is amazing. But second, you have been at this for a while and you talk about sure. mentality. You're talking to two mm-hmm. mental people over here. We're the two fit crazies. My superpower is crazy. Okay, perfect. And... You know, our job is to kind of kick people's asses in gear to show them that, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you can accomplish something. Yes, you can do this. And and that's really our passion with the podcast. Hey, how can we provide more to the world? How can we give unbiased information to people to get them going? So what the heck do you do when you talk about mentality? What do I do when I talk about mentality? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a broad question. It is a broad one. question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what I do when I talk about mentality is help people understand, first of all, that uh, the power is in their hands, that they have to do something and, and take control of their own situation, take control of their own situation, uh, not allow the, the situation to be stronger than them, because at that point you become a victim. And uh, I tell people victims get victimized. Uh, the situation basically takes control of you. So the biggest thing for people is really understanding what is the internal power that you have to do something about your circumstance and your situation. And when you can take control of the internal game, then you have the power to do something with the external game. Like you can't use your uh, tangible resources, whether those are your physical muscles or the tools or uh, whatever uh, apparatuses you have available to you. You can't make full use of those until you make full use of what's going on in here in between the ears. So it all starts right there. And then everything else comes from that. If you don't take control of this, then there's nothing you can do with the rest of it. That's my, that's my whole ethos is based on that. Where, where does this come from with you? Is this uh, born out of frustration? Is this born out of experience? Is this, uh, you know, talk personally about uh, how, how you came upon mm-hmm. this? Well, this came from, of course, my background in sports, you know, being an athlete, I tried every sport growing up, uh, finally stumbled on basketball by my mid early teens. And I struggled to become even uh, mediocre as a basketball player. And one of the things that especially these days I hear from athletes all the time, I've been publishing online for almost 20 years. So publishing online, I hear from athletes always and I've always hear the athletes blaming the coaches, blaming their teammates, blaming their parents for you know not supporting their dreams or not letting them go practice basketball on school days or whatever it is. And one of the things that I hear from people all the time, not just kids, but all kinds of people, is that they're always blaming what I like to, what I call the externalities, which is anything outside of themselves for their situation. And 
listen, I completely understand that often an externality is the is the problem. It is the hang up because 99 percent of our lives, uh, Brian and Christine, Christine, we don't control. You don't control the weather. You don't control other people. You might think, you know, another person's going to do. But I think we all have enough life experience to know that sometimes people are unpredictable and they do things that we don't want them to do or don't need them to do. And it gets in our way. And, you know, sometimes circumstances just don't go the way we want them to go. But since we can't control other things, our jobs as individuals is to take control of that one percent that we do control. And that's the mental toughness is understanding that you only actually have full control over one percent. But deciding that you're going to take full ownership over that one percent. And the, here's where the mental alchemy comes in, is that when you take full control over that one percent, all of a sudden you start to have influence over the ninety nine percent. It's almost magical, but that's the way that it works. But since most people never take control over that one percent, they never get to influence the ninety nine percent. So they continue to basically the same thing they thought was the problem just continues to be the problem It's almost like a self-fulfilling cycle. How did you find that out? Man, well, I found it out through not only through my own actions and my own you know, experiences, but also just thinking about it myself. And also, I can't say that I just came up with this out of nowhere, but also the materials that I've taken in over the years. So I've been a student of personal development ever since I found out that there was a thing called personal development. So through you know, back to the Napoleon Hills, the Tony Robbins, the Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar's, Earl Nightingale's and all the the forefathers of this. A lot of them not even alive anymore. And into the modern day, I don't, I don't take it too many of the modern day folks, but I, I like people like Robert Greene, people who are more classical writers. And then taking my own experiences and the way that I can talk about these things and kind of modernizing it for somebody who might not have the patience to listen to one of those guys, but they can listen to me. And because I uh, sound maybe more like some something someone is more modern i look like them i come from the neighborhoods that they come from i played the sports that they played they can tell that i can speak their lingo and i can take that those conversations from these old guys that some of these people never heard of and they can hear it from somebody coming from they can hear it coming from somebody like me uh, i think that's one of my strengths that i can kind of translate it into a lingo that maybe a modern person uh, could understand a little bit better if that, that makes sense. That's incredibly important, right? It, it's not, you know, it, mm. I've, I've, I've learned from college professors, but I've learned very little from college professors, you know, uh, they, <laughs> they, they, they can stand up there and they can teach you, uh, and, and, right. you know, you get the information from that, but it, you know, mostly it's my peers or it's my own mistakes or it's, you know, it, it, it's life experiences and things like that, that, that we really learn from. And, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's important to kid, you know, kids or whoever, and I coach, I coach high school athletes and Christine did too. And it's like, you know, they, you have, you have to be on their level. If you're not, you're just some, right. another person who's hollering at them all the time. Um, you know, really, really important to do there. Now this 1%, uh, you know, I, I really feel that they, they, that's important because, um, it's lost on so many people that they, don't even understand that that one percent exists. Maybe because it is only one percent, but how important it is, and and um, you know. So, what do we do to help them tap into that, or even realize that it exists? Oh, that's a great question. The first thing is helping them understand it. You got to help people understand things on a logical level, and I think people 
a lot of times can accept things on a logical level. First of all, you have people who don't understand it on a logical level at all. Then the next step is understanding it logically, then is understanding it emotionally, and then is actually applying it and getting a result. So it's a, a five-step formula because you can apply something. If you're not getting a result, then you're not going to keep doing it. So the first thing is making people aware of this, and they have to at least be a little bit, at least slightly open to hearing something that may challenge what they believed up to this point. And I found that a good percentage of people are not even open to that conversation, believe it or not. But once you find people or at least get them open to wanting to hear or something that might be different than what they previously thought, then it's just helping them understand what I just explained. 99% of life you don't control. You only control 1%. But how much of that 1% are you willing to take control over? How much of it are you willing to take ownership of? So that's the first step. Then the emotional part. And the emotional understanding of it usually will require them to actually get a result. They have to actually do something and get a result to where they can see, okay, this can work. It's kind of like uh, with the two of you. If you're working with somebody in the gym, they haven't worked out in years or never worked out. They're not sure as even for them. They're embarrassed to be in the gym because they're the worst in the worst shape of anybody who's in the facility. It's believing that this can actually work, getting them to some kind of small win at the beginning. And that's with damn near anything you sell, you got to get somebody a quick win so that they can see, okay, this will actually work. I can get a result here so they can get some momentum and they keep showing up. Because no matter how you no know, motivational or inspirational you are, no matter how much they, even if they hired you to keep a foot in their behinds, if they don't show up, nothing you can do. You can't get them in shape and they don't show up and do their part. So it's getting people some kind of quick win, even if it's just mental. With what I do, sometimes it's just a mindset and just understanding, okay, the way that this guy explained it, it makes sense. That actually makes sense. I can actually use that. That makes me think a little bit differently. So for me, a lot of times it's just getting people to think differently than how they previously thought. Because, um, again, a lot of people live life by default. They just go off whatever thoughts are in their environments, whatever they got from the adults around them who might not be as smart as they appear to be. And really just getting the right information. Once they get the right information in their minds and they believe they can do something with it, then we can actually take them to taking an action, get a result. And when they get a result and they can see it and they can see that they did it, then they'll be willing to do it over and over again. And that's how you know, we kind of get that rising tide. When the tide rises, it rises for all the boats, not just for one individual. So let's we got to go. We go. We're going back. We're going back. All right. Hold the hold the horses here. We're going back. All right. So you are originally from Philly. Yes, I am. Mount Airy. Mount Airy. The beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. That's, oh, not, you that's have... not that. No, it's not no. that? <laughs> oh, that commercial. Yeah, for, I think like... the Mount Airy Lodge is actually in Mount Airy. Yeah, I think it's just called the Mount Airy Lodge. Really? Yeah, yeah that was just so I didn't like know that. Show. Suburbs. But I, it's yeah. good that you watched daytime television back in the 80s. That's good for you. You know that one. That's all that I remember. Okay, so yeah, anyhow. No lodges in Mount Airy. Now I've learned. <laughs> Got it. Noted. All right, well, you know what? Laugh it up, kids, because next time you're not invited to my champagne bubble bath <laughs> that I'd never get in because it's probably that's frightening. That champagne okay. bubble bath is filthy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Needless to say, as we digress. So what took you from Philly to Miami mm-hmm. to writing books to, you know, just being a, a coach and an influencer and a trailblazer and helping so many people. We've, we've got to figure this out. So what's going on? 
Man, so well, I went to school at uh, Penn State. I went to Penn State Altoona, which is a the Division three is a Division three campus sports wise. I went there specifically to play sports. I was recruited there uh, after my freshman year of college, where I went to Penn State Abington, which is right outside of Philadelphia. So uh, when I was in college, I mean, this was I graduated college in two thousand four to give everybody a time frame. The internet existed, but it wasn't anything like we have now. We weren't, I don't think Zoom, there was no Zoom, there were no phones, no smartphones. But we did have TV, we had magazines, we had books, we had movies. So I saw Miami on TV. I said, well, I want to live there. That, that, it was as simple as that. Uh, either, Calif- either California or Miami. That's where I wanted to live because I saw the weather was nice. I saw the, the palm trees and I saw the girls on TV. I said, all right, that's where I want to be. So knowing what I wanted to do professionally, I wanted to play basketball. didn't really matter where I lived because my career in sports was my professional career. Most of my jobs were overseas. They were abroad. So when you're playing professionally abroad, it doesn't matter where in America you live because that's only in the off season. That's just where they send you back to when the season's over. So I knew I wanted to live in Miami even before I had seen it. So that was that's simply how I ended up here. And as far as writing books, I've always been a writer. Now, my mother's an educator. She's been a teacher you know, since I was a kid. She my sister is a year older than me. So she had my sister and I reading books and writing from a very early age before we even started school because we basically had a had a cheat sheet we had a teacher in the house so i was always in the reading and writing even in school uh teachers would note that hey you have some some talent for this this writing thing but i knew i wanted to go into sports first and then another branch of the story was when i was probably maybe a sophomore or junior some guy put up a little little billboards sign that said, hey, make extra income, unlimited income potential. It was network marketing, which I didn't stay in, but I went to a couple of the meetings. And in those meetings, they introduced, first of all, personal development, which I'd never heard of before. So I'm thankful that I went. And they were introducing these whole concepts of entrepreneurship, which I knew existed, but I had no idea how or what or when. And mind you, I have a business degree from Penn State and they didn't teach it. So <laughs> I, when I went to those meetings, I started reading these books. I started reading Think and Grow Rich. And I read uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And those books kind of planted the seed in my mind. I said, OK, when I get out of school, I'm going to play basketball. But when that's done, I'm going to do this because I knew I didn't want to do the traditional thing that I saw a lot of adults around me doing simply because they were always at work and they talked about work as if it wasn't necessary evil. And they didn't seem excited about it. And they would always make comments that showed they didn't really have a lot of uh, discretionary income. But at the same time, they didn't have any time. So I'm like, well, I don't want to sign up for that. So I knew I wanted to do something different than what I saw them doing. That was just the examples. Those were just the examples that were around me. I know not everyone is like that, but those are the examples that I saw. So that's how I knew I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. So there was the that's the Miami answer. That's the writing answer. And then that's also the entrepreneurship piece. So that's how they all kind of came together. It's, it's crazy how many people those books have helped, right? Like over the years, how many yeah. people have read those books and it just changed their lives? The Napoleon Hill, especially, you know, for me at least, uh, you know, it's it's just like, it's it's uh, and and you know, you have fun, right? You make you, you know, you make a living, right? You know, you're living a good life, right? Like Miami's not so bad, uh, you know. So like all these things, it's kind of like you, you know, you you, you set yourself up, um, you know, focusing on I assume that one percent. This is, this is the thing. And you, you saw the fact that I don't want this and you made that change. And that's where this whole mentality thing I want to tap into a little bit with you Mm -hmm. because I mean, Brian and I are both on our second, third 
we talk about I made it careers because we right. we saw what we didn't want to be and we didn't want to live our whole life and look back and say, oh, okay, well, um, that was that sucked. So now, you know, now we can now we can enjoy ourselves in retirement. Okay, well, now we're we're so old that you're not going to enjoy it. And I remember being in investment banking and and seeing, you know, my first internship. I had this meeting with my, you know, I was still in college. It was in I was uh, you know, in the summer, I lived in the city, New York City. And I remember sitting down with this woman and she was my men, like my mentor. And she's like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm traveling this week, this week, this week, this week. You know, I live in Pennsylvania. It takes me two hours to get to work. And then it takes me two hours to get home. And I also have an eight month old daughter. And, and I'm like, and I remember asking her and I can't believe I did this. I was just too naive, but I was like, wow, when do you get to see your daughter? <laughs> I, it was a very natural to- question because I was like, wow, you, why would you have a, you, I like, it didn't make me like blew my mind at the age of 20 that why would you be? And she's like, well, you know, the nanny puts her usually, and sometimes every other weekend I see her and I'm like, that's not the life I want. Yeah. And I, and I knew it right away. And that was, it was helpful. And then I had another career teaching and, and whatnot. And then, you know, realizing that could be easy. That could, I could just coast and be, you know, complacent with this, but I didn't want to. I had that, that's something. I had that crazy that like you, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to do this. They don't teach it in college of how to master all of these different moving parts, but you did it. I mean, Brian did it. I did it. What is that? What was it that you have that other people you see don't? Personal initiative is one. Uh, the confidence to try it is another. And actually, you know what the biggest thing is that makes us all entrepreneurs, and I think you two would agree with this, is a high level of uh, disagreeableness. <laughs> and that disagreeable thing is not necessarily, I don't mean disagreeable like you're combative or negative, not that kind of disagreeable. But I don't know if are you too familiar with the, the big five personality traits. You ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. All right. So I don't remember what the five are, but I know one of them is your level of agreeableness. So people who are highly agreeable, these are people who work really well in teams. These are people who are really good compromisers. They're the kind of people who try to bring everyone together. Let's try to get everyone on the same page working together. And they work great in certain environments. These are people who might be great at being like a school teacher or running a daycare or anything that involves getting everyone on the same page and working together. But the people who are high and also they're great at team sports. So and so it's ironic that I played a team sport like basketball when I'm very high and disagreeable. And one thing that I told people all the time that I should have been like a boxer or a tennis player, I probably would have been better because it would just be me. I didn't have to work with anybody. Mm-hmm. But disagreeableness, that level of disagreeable is the kind of person who always they always find themselves going against the grain. They're the type of person that people might uh, mockingly call them a contrarian when they're not really trying to be contrarian, but they just seem to always go against what everybody else is doing because it's just their just their natural way of looking at things. And these are your Jeff Bezos's, your Steve Jobs. These are the people who they go against the grain, and then most importantly, not just going against the grain, but you also have to prove yourself right. So it's two pieces to it because a lot of people go against the grain, they fail. 
and they fall on their faces that we don't know about them. That you don't you don't invite them on your podcast, right? Is <laughs> the people who go against the grain and they end up correct and they prove themselves right. Those are the ones that we remember, and those are the people who get celebrated and you know they get books written about them and get interviewed and things like that. Is you figure that or I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing, and then you know some of the people around you who are more agreeable are looking at you like you're crazy. And now you're in a battle because now you're fighting against that circumstance. And now you got to prove that your way is actually the correct way. And it might take you 10 years to prove it. But if you have that high level of disagreeability, uh, we don't mind. We'll work. We'll go that whole 10 years just to get that one day of everybody knowing like, damn, OK, I see what you I see what you were thinking now. Now I see that you did it. So that was always a big thing for me from my school days to the sports world. And now even now into entrepreneurship is I know I have that high level of disagreeability, but I've embraced it and I've learned to work with it. And my job out here is finding the other people who think the exact same way. I'm not trying to convert anybody, but find the people who already think that way and you know, literally preaching to the choir. Not literally, but preaching to the choir. How how much of that disagreeability is is feeling? How much of it is thoughts? You know, I, I know that I, you know, I, like Christine said, I had, you know, the I made it job and I was in that room and I was like, this just doesn't feel right. I could stay here forever right. uh, and I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to live myself very long if I had to do that. But how much of that is how much of that is feeling or how much of it is is instinctual or, you know, as opposed to thinking, you know, like you said, it's not combative. You're not doing it, disagreeing just to you know, be contrarian or, or have a battle of some sorts or win, right. um, you know, how much of it is feeling? I think it's a, a, a little bit of both, Brian. I think it's a combination of both because you get the feeling like you got that feeling in your stomach that said, okay, I got this job that socially and you know, to the world, this looks like you're in the right spot, but you knew internally that there was something wrong about this for you. And maybe at first, when you first felt it, you might not have even been able to put put words to it and explain it. I've heard that from many people who worked in uh, any kind of finance job, people who went to law school. Those are two areas I've heard it the most. Right. Uh, and education, those three areas. They get there, education, they can't wait to get out. Finance. Yeah, they get yeah, there. They, exactly. You <laughs> so. know, and then and and look, it was like I almost I almost got to the point where where everybody that that I worked with was not thinking that way and they actually enjoyed it and then i was like i can't stand to be around these people anymore because like they love it too much and it was you know it was clearly me it wasn't you know nobody did anything wrong uh but it was you know it's just like i I gotta get out of here so here we are yeah 100 percent. and it's i think first you feel it yourself and you could probably answer better than i can but uh, you feel it internally and then you have to logically figure out, okay, well, no, you're still an adult. You still have to figure out how to live. So while, yes, your impulse might say, get the hell out of here, but at the same time, I get out of here and do what? And then you have to kind of piece those things together. But if you were able to even get the job in the first place, then you're smart enough to figure that out. And because of your level of disagreeability, you are willing to figure it out because I'm sure there are a lot of people in in that same profession who maybe they say to the outside world, they're showing that they love it and it's great because socially it's acceptable and they can do all the right things. They can pay their bills and get themselves a nice car, get a house, have a family, have 2.5 kids and a dog. (laughs) But it's because they have the agreeability, right? And this is, this is, just their nature that they want to kind of what we call going along and get along. But the people in that with that disagreeable, disagreeable level, uh, we're we don't want to do that. It sickens us to even think about doing that. So we go the opposite direction. 
you know what I keep thinking of when you said about being on a team? And I think mm. I played volleyball my whole life. I got to play in Europe and mm. in college and whatnot. And I am, I definitely have that disagreeable personality, but I hit it for a really long time because it was the acceptable thing to do to do what society thinks is right, right? You you know, you're supposed to go to college and you do this and then you get the job and you're, you know, you're stable and your finances and you have your medical taken care of and, you know, you get married and you have the kids and it's you're checking these lists and it's even if you don't want to do it, you feel pressure that this is what life is supposed to be. I call it the playbook. Right. When we, I don't, like we burned that, I burned that like five years ago um, when I left my last job and people thought I was like losing my mind, which I did. It was awesome (laughs) because I got to recreate the life that I actually wanted, that I was always told this is not a career, this is irresponsible. And I'm like, oh yeah, watch this. Middle fingers up, you know. Um, But I think that whole idea of playing with a sports team and having team members keeps you a little bit grounded if you know I'm, I'm curious to think of how you say it, you know what you think because when I played sports I was the one that people were like you know you're really intense sometimes you're a little bit intimidating to to be on a team with and I'm like you're damn right like this is you know we're at war like I don't want to lose um and I but I think that's what that builds character and yeah maybe maybe yeah maybe I could turn it down sometimes but do you think for yourself that that, you know, how did that help you going forward than being an entrepreneur? That's a great question. And, and it's interesting that you say it as a, as a female, as, as a male, uh, <laughs> being that we have testosterone, we have that internal drive. And what you just said there was, you know, that sometimes you might, people might say, maybe you're going a little bit too hard, but you're pushing back and saying, well, yeah, maybe I am going too hard, but I'm not going to stop. Every time in my life when something like that's come up and I've kind of acquiesced and uh, adjusted to whatever the the socially I was being told that maybe I should do differently, I've always ended up regretting it. It's always ended up being a bad move. And I know with with men, I'm mostly most of my people I've worked with are men. I work with some females, but with men, I know that comes up over and over again. So it's I'd be interested to hear how you feel about that, uh, Christine. But as far as for me. Like, I forgot what your question was. Ask me a question again. So with um, with playing sports, do you think yes. that that, you know, did you, were you, oh, were you still a little disagreeable then? Do you oh, think yeah. that made you better? And then was that, mm-hmm. do you think being, having to be a part of that team kept you mm-hmm. a little grounded? Okay. Good question. Now, here's the thing with me. My situation was a little bit different. Now, I barely played in high school. I only played one year of high school basketball, and I sat the bench that one year. And then in college, because I didn't do anything in high school, I played Division three college ball. So it's not like I'm at Duke or North Carolina. So I'm not playing with the best of the best. I'm playing with guys who 95% of the people I played with in college had no aspirations of taking basketball any further than college. They were just playing because I can. I'm, I could be on the team here, but they were not thinking – and I'm going to try to play overseas. I'm going to the NBA. It was like, when college is over, this is over. I'm going to go and do my no quote-unquote regular thing. I only had a few teammates. I can count on one hand who were really seriously thinking about trying to take 
their game to the next level. So when I was looking at the players around me, yes, my disagreeable level was high amongst my teammates. I did enough to get along, you know, to be a part of the team. But at the same time, I'm looking at these guys like they don't have the vision that I have. So I wasn't expecting them to be on the same page as me. And for the most part, they weren't. And now that we know the end of the story, they never did. They never did get on the same page as me. So it made sense from my situation. Now, had I been playing at North Carolina, I might have been playing with players who were better than me. So I would have been looking at them as, okay, how can I get around these guys so I can get better, so I can catch up to where they're at? So because of my situation, yes, I was. But had I been playing with people who were maybe at a higher level where I would have needed to kind of strive to catch up to them as opposed to the other way around, then maybe it would have been different. But that was my situation. I like to I, – I just zoned – not zoned out, but I just now imagine that you were talking about anything. Didn't have to be – sports didn't have to be a team could have been the people around you so like you said the same way in class right right (laughs) right business your friends your acquaintances Mm -hmm. i'm you know i don't want to hang around with people that don't have aspirations to achieve greatness that's it period the end and and here's the thing so when i was in so i went to my school penn state altoona the and when I was in my business major, my last two years, you take most of your classes for your major the last two years, this campus was small enough that it's the same people in all the classes. So it was about 50 of us in this major, same people, every class. And they were the type of people who would do all the homework and they would do all the assignments. And I mean, school sets you up. I mean, the American educational system was designed to produce employees. That's what it's designed to do. They give you the assignment, you do it, <laughs> yeah. you get a good grade, a pat on the head, you right. get a check. Check the box, and check most the of box. My, Right, exactly. So most of my classmates in the business major, they were like that. They were all getting themselves ready to go work somewhere. And they probably, you know, it's been almost 20 years. They probably are all working in their careers. And the thing is, I remember when we all had to do our internships and a lot of them did internships for the place that they ended up working right after college. I couldn't find an internship. I was like at the last minute getting an internship because I didn't really want one because I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to play sports. And I remember telling the internship, coordinator the situation like look i want to play basketball when i got out of college but i know i had to do this and she was actually very uh, accommodating and welcoming she helped me she helped me get an internship with a guy who was a local like uh, entrepreneur he didn't have an official internship system so i kind of got got to skate by a little bit on that but uh, the whole thing was i remember looking at my classmates like these people are not trying to go where i'm trying to go first of all i'm trying to play a sport for a living coming from a school where nobody plays a sport for a living after school so i'm already going against the grain and then i want to be an entrepreneur none of these people want to be entrepreneurs so i already knew i was like on the outside looking in on the rest of that class but at the same time to answer your question that you asked earlier christine i have a mother for a teacher so she's from the education world so I knew how to do enough to get by. Let me still, I tell what I tell athletes these days, because I hear from athletes all the time who say, Dre, I just want to play my sport. I don't want to go to school. And I explain to them in America, if you want to play a sport, you have to go to school and you got to get at least this grade so you can play. I call that playing the game. You got to learn how to play the game. It's a hustle. And I heard a a college football coach say, C's get degrees. Mm -hmm. So all you got to do is do enough to get by. And I knew I was smart enough because I had good home training from my mother, the teacher, to do enough to get by. I never I never really applied myself as much as I could have as a student. And I admit it. And I tell others when I tell young people that I say, don't copy that. Just understand I'm telling you the truth. I could have applied myself a lot more and been maybe close to valedictorian if I wanted to. But I didn't want to. 
I did enough to get by because I knew where I wanted to go. And it wasn't to go get a job based on you know, my glowing college resume. So that was my thought process. You played your game, right? Play the game, but right. play yours. Uh, you know, get what you need. Get what you need out of it, and and uh, and and move along with the rest. I, I got to ask, how did you end up? Because uh, this is just my curiosity. So you graduate. How does yeah. somebody from a small school in Pennsylvania be seen enough to to make it overseas to play ball? Like, what did you have to showcase, or did you go to uh, you know tournaments or something like that? Or how did that work? Yeah, who, I mean, question. who who sees Glad a guy from Altoona, <laughs> you know, Penn State Altoona, enough to say, "Hey, come, yeah. let me give you some money and come play," you know, in and, Italy. And where did you play? All right, great question. So the answer to your question, Brian, is nobody sees the guy from Penn State Altoona. So I had to go get myself seen. So I went to this blue book you see right behind me. That's my book about how to play overseas basketball. So I, I wrote that based on my experiences. So I graduated in 2004. Mind you, the Internet exists, but it's nothing like what we have now. Y'all remember. So I went to I went to an event called an exposure camp, which are they're pretty well known in sports these days. Athletes have exposure camps. But at this time, they weren't as big as they are now. So at a pro exposure camp, you pay money. You travel to a venue and a whole bunch of other players who also had the same idea as you, they come. So it was $250 that I had to pay. This event was in Orlando, Florida. So I drove from Philly to Orlando with a couple teammates. It's a 19-hour drive. We left on Friday. The event started 9 a.m. Saturday morning. We walked in the gym at 9 a.m. Saturday morning off after an overnight drive. Oh, my now, gosh. At age 23, I could do that. Right. I probably couldn't do it now, but I could do it then. So I uh, hopped out the car. I paid $250 in cash. I didn't even have a bank account or a credit card at that time. They let me pay in cash. And I had two days to basically make my career happen. Because at the time, I was working at a gym called Bally Total Fitness. Y'all mm-hmm. remember Bally? Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, yeah, they are. They're out of business now, not because of me. I think I did pretty good for them. But uh, I played two two days in Orlando. I did pretty well. I got a, a really solid scouting report that said good stuff about me. I got the footage from the, that camp, which was on this thing called a VHS tape. Y'all remember mm-hmm. those? Yeah. yeah. So that that two days and $250 is how I got started. So my performance there, I took the scouting report and the footage, and I started – marketing myself to basketball agents because agents are just like literary agents or acting agents. They're the go between, between the job and the talent. Sure. So when I came home, I had that VHS tape and I had a double decker VCR. So I went to Eckerd, the drugstore uh-huh. or the convenience store. And I bought a 10 pack of blank VHS tapes and I was making copies of my own master tape. And I would mail that tape out in bubble mailers on my own dime to agents around the world. So I went on Google and found basketball agents. I start cold calling them, literally cold calling basketball agents. Here's who I am. Here's what I have. I got some footage. They said, all right, send me what you got. I sent my footage to about 20 agents. I called 60. I sent my footage to 20 and one of them called me back. He decided to represent me. He got me my first job. So to answer your last question there, I played in uh, started in Lithuania, went to I played for a traveling team here in the USA, which is kind of like the kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters, right. or like the Walmart version of the Harlem right, Globetrotters. Right. It wasn't the Globetrotters. So there, uh, Mexico, Germany, Croatia. Uh, where else was I? At? Montenegro, Slovakia, uh, UK, and I'm missing one one other place. But that was that's the gist of it. Yeah, that, you know what? I've known places. I've known a bunch of kids. I, I, a friend of mine is is an Italian fella. One of his friends is mm-hmm. uh, is an attorney in Italy. And over there, the, that's what the agents are. They're just attorneys. They don't, you know, they, they, they're more of, um, you know, they just oversee the yeah. contracts and things like that. So he would always come mm-hmm. over here and we would 
go to the showcases with them, like Portsmouth and and some of those uh, bigger, you know, higher end ones. And uh, and I saw it all. And he you was had signing. To be good to get invited yeah, to yeah, you had to be good. Yeah. And they were they were a lot of you know all the D one kids that were coming off the tournament. I think it's like probably next week. Right. Uh, and right. and they uh, you know, but he but that's what it was. So he would talk to the agents here. And, you know, say, hey, send them over, send them over, send them over. And then from Italy, he was sending them all, like, Poland and, you know, Belgium and right. all these different places where there's good basketball, right? I mean, it was competitive leagues, I'm yeah, sure. That, yeah, Yeah, no, and, and yeah, a lot of kids, a lot of kids. But none of them were from Penn State Altoona, you know what I mean? It was like they were, you know, they were they were coming yeah, off of maybe still none of them are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were, you know, they were they were still biggie yeah. schools and, and mid majors and and you know Toledo's of the world and all those places that you know right. that they were sending their kids just to try and find a place for them to play. So it was cool. I, I mingled, I mingled in that crowd for a couple of years just trying to help him out because his uh, his English okay. was okay and uh, and uh, and my Italian stunk, but we uh, you know we kind of made it work and and. Uh, I got to connect him with a couple of agents, so pretty funny. Okay, you didn't know that, Christine. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, but Penn State. That yeah, was Penn while. State, Penn State. Yeah, that was while I yeah. was slinging mortgages. Right, the job that I made it, uh-huh. and the one that I couldn't stand myself in my own skin. And uh, you know, I was just always looking for a way out of that. Anyway, so that was cool. I got to hang and watch a lot of basketball. And right. That was fun. Dre, do you <laughs> still have your VHS tape? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I don't know because That's like, actually I could this leads to another piece of the story. What were you about to say? Well, you need to hold on to that because I somewhere still have my volleyball recruiting VHS tape. I, it's like really? one of those things where you can't get rid of it because I had a heavy uh-huh. Long Island accent. It was like, my name is Christine <laughs> and I'd like to come to your school to play volleyball. Like, like my – it's yeah. – I get – made fun of very often so I could never get rid of it but that's like I mean that's like a part of history now I'm like look at my VHS tape of when I was younger and I was more agile oh man right this is gold so (laughs) I used to back at that time when I had my my VCR at home I used to film I would record basketball games on TV like NBA on NBC and I had all these VHS tapes but then when I moved from Philly to Miami, I left the tapes at home in my parents' house. They still live in that house. And a couple of years ago, my parents were down here visiting. And I asked my dad, hey, by the way, all those VHS tapes I left at the house, they, they're still in the garage, right? And he said, no, we threw them, all, we threw them away. So they threw no. all my VHS tapes. Yeah, and I think my tape from that exposure camp was amongst those VHS. I'm actually, I'm pretty sure it was. So I think they all got thrown away. But next time I'm, I'm in Philly, because last time I was there, I didn't even go in the garage to look. I forgot. But the next time I will go look and see. But here's the good news. That footage was on a VHS tape. Now, this is 2005 here. Now, I understood even then that a VHS tape, you leave it in the sun, it gets wet, it gets destroyed. So I knew this tape couldn't stick around forever. I might lose. I might drop it myself. So I took the VHS to, to an audio visual store and got them to transfer the footage from a, the VHS to a data CD. Mm. I put the data CD in a desktop computer and I uploaded the footage to this brand new website that I had just heard of. They said you could put out as much footage as you want for free. It's called YouTube.com. <laughs> so that's how I started to get known on the Internet. Yeah. I took that footage and I put it on YouTube. So all of that footage is on YouTube to this very day. Good I just don't you. have the tape. That's awesome. YouTube, Brian, did you hear that one? Yeah, um, no, let me write amazing. that down. How does that spell? That's okay. Right. 
<laughs> some Beautiful. Uh, some disagreeable person created YouTube somewhere along the line. You yep. know? <laughs> yeah, one That's of those right. guys. One uh, of the PayPal guys. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this one percent, right? We we got to focus on the one percent. Uh, of course, we got to practice no matter what it is, whether it's a sport or a job or a career, whatever whatever it is. We got to get good at whatever it is. Um, but this one percent, how much percentage of our time do we give this one percent? Man, so it is actually mixed into everything that you're doing because it's understanding that, look, 99 percent of life you don't control. So it's really focusing on what you can control. What can you control? And really, ideally, you want to be giving all your time to it because whatever is going to happen with that 99 percent, other people in other situations and what you don't have control over is going to happen no matter what you do. So your job is to take that 1% that you do have control over and say, okay, what can I do with this situation? Okay, they shut down all the gyms. I'm sure both of you had to figure some things out the last couple of years. They shut all the gyms down. You can't go in the gym. All right, people don't want to meet you one-on-one. All right, now can we do it through Zoom? What are you going to do? All right, the weather's cold. You can't even go outside. What are you going to do in that situation? All right, the internet's down. What are we going to do? All right, the microphone's not working. We had a tech issue, but we got an interview scheduled. How do we figure this out? So actually, every single thing you do is figuring out what can I control in this situation and what can I do to get the outcome that I want based on what I have control over and what I can do something about. So actually, to answer your question there, Brian, it's 100% of the time you're focusing on that 1% given whatever the 99% has handed you. Does Good answer. Sense? Good answer. Ooh. I was looking for it. I was mm. putting it out there, and I was going to say, what are we going to get back here? And it was exactly what I was hoping. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, mm. and, and, and when y- you could tell when these things hit, right, when the lockdowns happened, when it hit, it was like there were a mm. – bunch of very uncomfortable people not knowing what the hell and panic was setting in and then there was oh, yeah. the two of us who yeah, were, we were like, like all right <laughs> this woo! is the best time i get to see my kids all the time i get to you know work out and, we, and people we, are, we know audio visual we already had our podcast we create a podcast company like it was I prepared oh yeah. we were i, said, I feel yeah. like i'm camping I don't think we were lucky but it was definitely you know we turned to each other and we're like this yeah. is pretty awesome. It's not about it being like ideal. None of it was ideal. You but know, we no- like to be uncomfortable. Like you're talking mm. to people who are like, what can we do that not only makes us uncomfortable to grow, but makes other people a little uncomfortable so that they can, you know, see the see the light through the um, through the shades as well. Mm-hmm. Disrupt. Right. Disrupt. <laughs> yeah. Disrupt. Or just whatever. Figure it out. Right. Resilience. A little resilience and. We, we need to talk about, we need to talk about the book. First off, I've got such, I mean, number one, the first thing that I have taken away from this today as a selfish person is that I need to tattoo the name of my book on my arm. Dre, genius, genius. You didn't, I've been like the whole time. I mean, not just the hat, but like. Because then you've got a little skin in the game where you need to work on your biceps. You need to stay, you know, like, because no yeah, one, no one off, wants bro. it to be like, right? If you're, yeah, exactly. okay, so that's number one, which is what great marketing. Dude, I have completely it. picked that up. We're going to the ink shop right after this. Yeah, I'm going to, I have split second courage. It's going to, um, maybe it's going to be on my forehead. I have no idea. It's fine. We'll, we'll be, be cool better, with that, right? As long as you don't wear hats. <laughs> right. And then what do I, you know, I have to put it backwards. So that's, there's that. I'll, I'm going to have to work right. on that. But noted, really great marketing. Second thing. Thank you. 
we need to talk about the why behind your book. When mm-hmm. someone you hand this to someone, what is the goal? What do you want them to walk away from your book? All right. So, all right. Talking about the book, work on your game. We're talking mm-hmm. about specifically. Yeah. Okay. So the book, work on your game, actually it came about from a, uh, I was doing a speaking engagement and I was basically given a speech that was around the whole framework of the work on your game philosophy. So discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. Those are the four pillars of my whole philosophy. And uh, a woman, when I stepped off the stage, asked me, have, have you ever thought about writing another book? Because at that point, I had written several. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, actually, the speech that I just gave, I want to write a book about that. And that's how that book, uh, this book, Working Your Game, came, to, came about. And what I want people to get from the book is understanding that there is a basically a framework that works from the inside out to creating success in your life. The book is a, it's a business book. And I tell a fair amount of my story in it. A lot of what we talked about here is told in the book, but it's not a memoir. I basically use the experiences that I had in my life to help people understand. Here's why I came up with this. I know about confidence because when I was a kid, I used to wear glasses and I was a nerd like Steve Urkel and I had to develop some confidence. So that's how I started to write about confidence or here's how I developed mental toughness because I was in college and you know, playing at the D3 level, I wanted to play pro, but nobody was looking for me. So I had to be mentally tough enough to go and make my way into the world when nobody was trying to let me into the world. Nobody was inviting me into the world. So all of these different areas, I talk about mentorship, how when I got out of basketball, I was trying to figure out, I thought I was going to become a professional speaker. That was my first idea. And I found someone who was already in that world. She became a mentor. And one of the biggest things I explained to them is that when you find somebody who already has the information, you got to make sure you're being a sponge and taking in every single thing that they say because they don't have to be helping you. So those are all those kind of things because these days we're on the Internet and all the information is free, yet people still don't. People say they don't have enough information when it's all free because they're just not taking they're not taking initiative with it. So these are all pieces that I would tell a little bit of my story to help you understand. Here's why this matters to me. Here's why I'm passionate about it. And this is what you need to do with this. So I would tell the story. I would give them a point. Then I would tell them how to apply it. So basically, this book, Work on Your Game, if somebody was to read this, they would basically get you know, everything that I talk about is covered in this book and then all my other books basically go get more granular on something that's covered in here. So this covers the entire work on your game, no ethos and framework and philosophy, this book right here. And we're still not done with this. I'm going to do more with what's in this book moving forward. I love, I love books. (laughs) Such a, I taught English for 15 years after business and then now all the, whatever I do now, um, just different. Right. But that's my mother teaches reading. See, there it is. My wife too. Oh, it's you know, yeah. and that's honestly, you know, one of the reasons I left teaching, not because I didn't want to help people, but you know, literally the last year I taught and I taught seventeen, eighteen year olds. Literally the last year I taught, I would be like, Listen, kids, here's a deal. Like, here's what you need to do in life. Okay? Like I understand it, you know, and it was very much like I went from you know, I've got to follow all the rules and you need to do this and you have to do it like this and you have to, to, all right, kids. So like when you get out of here, here's what's important. Here's what I need you to do to play the game of life. And I'm like, I knew that this wasn't, you know, there was a bigger, you know, bigger role for me or, or something else that, you know, I get it. I can only help, you know, you kids so much that there's a, something else there that, you know, was bigger. And, I think, you know, you say it with, with your books and, 
and coming out with platforms of, you know, I know you've written many books and also, you know, given, you know, multiple TED Talks and your speaking engagements and, you know, everything that you're involved in, you're out there. You're, you know, going big as opposed to, you know, you're disrupting or dis- much more disagreeable than you were when you were younger, put it that way, and getting out there. What is your goal right now? What is the, you know, we're going forward, always looking forward. So you said more books, more speaking. Mm-hmm. What is your ultimate? Well, ultimately, one thing that I want to do is kind of an ongoing thing is the work on your game message, just the very concept is, is not like, is like Nike nor Amazon people. Not everybody knows about it. So I would guess most of your listeners probably never heard of me or heard of work on your game before today. So that's why you're here, Dre. Come on. Exactly. Right. So that's an ongoing job. That's something that's ongoing is just getting the message out there, getting more people to know about this. Cause I know once people hear about it and they get to understand it and they hear me and understand me that they're like, damn, that makes sense. Let me come into this world. So hopefully some of your listeners will come into my world. That's one thing. Another thing is, yeah, I'm going to write more books. I'm going to do more speaking and things like that. But also I want to create a really like a, what's the best way I can describe it? Maybe a system, some form of some entity that people can kind of get into the work on your game world on their own and they can go from point A to point Z without necessarily having to go through me myself because I can't talk to everybody. I can't coach everybody one-on-one. And I, I could be on a lot of podcasts, but I can't be on everybody's podcast. So a way for people to kind of get into the world and absorb it and get value from it without having to do it directly with me. So basically taking work on your game, the biggest, the big vision, big picture idea is to take work on your game and – we're going to make this into the just do it of personal and professional development. So the same way Nike is that in sports, you're going to make work on your game is going to be that when it comes to developing yourself, the business or personal level. The blueprint. You give them the blueprint, you know, let them work within that. I love this, man. I really want to thank you uh, um, for, for coming on and, and, uh, and sharing this with our audience. Like you said, you know, we were exposing you to a, a new a new group, uh, you know, of people here and opening a door for you, hopefully. Um, but you've helped me. Uh, Christine and I always say this is better than any college degree we ever uh, could have received. We've got we like get, a five-year <laughs> podcasting degree. We get to learn. And it's amazing. We get to learn from the best and be inspired by the best and, and uh, you know, and just get... Uh, talk to the best. That's right. Wait. Wait. We're working on our game. We're not done yet. Dre, you got something coming up? Maybe a little something something that you can tell our listeners about that maybe they would be interested in? Yes. My next live event is called Work On Your Game Live. You couldn't guess the name. That is going to be a a two-day event. It's going to be a virtual event this time, so you can anyone can absorb it from the comfort of their own home. Is a two-day event, and this one's going to be specifically, because we had different themes, this one's specifically for the thought leaders, the brand builders, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, speakers. So anyone who wants to get into this world of doing what Brian and Christine are doing, doing what I'm doing, you want to get into that world. Two full days, we're going to cover mindset and strategy on day one, application and execution on day two. And you can get all details at workonyourgame.com. Live, not .com. We own that too, but workonyourgame.live is the website for the event. May 5th and 6th is the dates, by the way. Got it. And now, in the meantime, can you tell all of our listeners, yell it out right now. We'll put this all in the show notes as well. But where can they go to find out more information about 
you, about your programs, about getting your books? Go. Mm. Man, well, I'm on everywhere online. I'm on actually, I'm on every social media platform. TikTok's the only one I don't use actively, but I use everything else. Uh, as far as my books, I have a lot of them. I will give people a free copy of my latest book. It's called The Third Day. Can I share that? Woo! Please yes, do. free. Let's okay. go. So, yes, I'll give a free physical copy. So, I, as I told you, we get granular from this. So, there's a chapter in Working Your Game called The Third Day. This is the book called The Third Day. So, this is my latest book. This book is all about what you do on the days when you least feel like showing up, you least feel like working. How do you give your best effort? So, this could be the person who signed up to work with one of you they're going to work out and they they're all excited first day they're excited feeling great a little bit sore second day a little bit more sore a little less excited and on that third day they're rolling over texting you and saying hey just charge me for the session i'm not coming all right the third day is what do you do in those moments when you don't feel like showing up how do you show up and give your best because that's what the professionals must do it is not an option you have to I give people a free physical copy of the book. All you do is cover the shipping. You just go to thirddaybook.com. That's all spelled out, thirddaybook.com. The book's free. Just cover the shipping, and we got a whole sales funnel there, so we'll offer you probably about 10 books. You don't have to take them, but we'll offer you a bunch of them. Work on your game will be one of them, so if you want to get this, this will be part of the offer when you go to thirddaybook.com. Amazing. Oh, yeah, I'm on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. I publish on all of them every day. So whichever one you prefer, just look me up. I'm there. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. All in the show notes, too. So if you didn't get all that or jot it down just right then and there, uh, check the show notes and you'll be able to find all that. And um, I'll also throw out to the listeners that you are someone who is really um, active and also responsive to people who reach out. And I think that's really important. And the fact that, you know, there's so many people out there that, you know, want to reach out to people and the fact that you respond is it just speaks volumes about who you are and, you know, and about that you want to touch more lives and you want to, to grow not just your message, but also help other people. So super appreciated, um, you know, on behalf of Two Fit Crazies and all of our listeners around the world, we will get all that information out and, um, I will see you in Miami in a couple months. <laughs> she's gonna, she's, she's yeah. literally going to pop out of your bushes, right? I will Trey, not I'm here. pop out of your bushes. <laughs> I won't. Well, but I'm, I'm a good I time. I'm going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Where's so. it going to be? Is it uh, Miami Beach? North, North Beach? Well, yeah, we're at the convention center. Yeah. So. Oh, convention center. Yeah. Okay, it's right in yeah. South Beach. Yeah, it's right big. Right, and it's going to be disastrous. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I am so sorry, okay. Miami. It's going to happen, but... It's okay. Hurricane Christine. Uh, mm -hmm. It's fine. Miami Beach is great. Oh. Well, I definitely appreciate uh, you two offering me uh, to be on the show. I definitely appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully uh, we get good feedback from your listeners. That's what I'm looking forward to. We Love will. it. We will. Love it. Love All right, Dre. With that said, it is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Peace.